Take your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to continue in our series of 1 Thessalonians that we've been in for 16 or 17 weeks. Uh, and we are going to be, uh, we're trying to wind it down a little bit, but we just kind of keep finding little things here and there that uh, we want to look at. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 21. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, just to kind of put a little bit in context, in as you look in your Bibles, this really is kind of in the middle or towards the end of something Paul began in verse 12 with a series of various exhortations or commands or things that he is urging the church to do. He spent some time uh, teaching uh, this young church, Thessalonica. Today it still exists in northwest uh, part of Greece called Thessaloniki today, but he has been teaching them, giving them some doctrinal teaching on living for Christ, what it means to be a part of God's family, uh, teaching about uh, the second coming, what are the events and some of the things surrounding that, what happens to the believer when they die and, and the Lord returns, and we spent time going through those various things. And so as Paul just is kind of winding things down, he's just giving some various pastoral encouragements to the church. He wants to leave them. Uh, he's very positive. Remember, this is a very young church that was established in Acts chapter 17. We see a record there. Uh, Paul uh, was there only maybe a few weeks, and he, had, uh, he and his companions had to leave because of the persecution. But yet, in spite of the persecution, the church kept going. church kept growing. And so later he would send Timothy to them to check on them, to see how they were doing. They had been established maybe a couple of years, and Timothy came back with a good report uh, that they were doing well, uh, that they were strong, they were vital, they were healthy. And as a consequence of Timothy, his son in the faith, coming back, Paul wrote this letter, and he's very positive at what he hears and and some of the exhortations he gives are probably some things that uh, Timothy came back with, uh, some areas that Paul as an apostle needed to address. So as he kind of is in this latter verses of chapter 5, uh, the flow of thought begins in verse 12, and I hope you do have your Bible or phone, tablet, swipe it, however you have it, uh, that you can follow along. We try to have some verses on the screen, but we, not, we won't have all of them, and this helps you engage with the Word of God. That's part of our worship here this morning. And so give your attention to verse 19, 20, and 21, and we're going to read those. I will read them. You follow along, and uh, we'll pray and hear God's Word uh, to us this morning. The Word of God reads, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, again, mindful and grateful for your presence in our midst, our, your presence uh, in our life. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that we can hear it, learn it, uh, be taught the Word of God, but also that you have given us the Spirit that enables us to obey the Word, to follow, to be convicted, to, Lord, be admonished, to be taught by the Word of God. 
So we just pray that today, as we hear the word of the Lord, as we submit ourselves under the authority of, of this, uh, this Bible, this word that you have given us, that we can have confidence in the word of God, that, uh, Lord, we'll be encouraged today, Lord, as believers in Christ. Lord, if there are those in our midst who are strangers to you, they are not followers of Jesus, they know about you, they know uh, things about the church, maybe they have a religious background, but they do not have a personal, dynamic relationship with you. They've never, ever encountered you as Lord and Savior. We pray that today your Holy Spirit is the only one who can draw them to yourself, will do that through the ministry of the Word. And so we, again, we just are grateful today that we can be here and worship you through the Word of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is pleasing in your sight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm going to just focus on verse 19. Uh, five words there. Do not quench the spirit and I had to work hard because that's the title of the message so don't get confused that's the title of the message do not quench the spirit and then this command Paul is intending this for everybody remember he's writing a letter we call it a book but it was a letter he's writing to the church that is read and so this is a word of encouragement and admonishment to the whole church to do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. We don't really know if there is something that was going on that caused him to say that, that they were doing something that was some activity or some thinking or teaching that was causing that. We don't, we don't know. Um, we don't know if, you know, again, it's just he's telling them to stop doing something that they're doing. The Bible just isn't real clear uh, doesn't give us more than what we have there. But that word quench, we know what it means to quench a thirst. But the word quench uh, is used often in Scripture, or most of the time in Scripture, to extinguish as one does a fire or flame. Maybe there was a situation where you remember something caught on fire and you had to immediately quench it. You had to snuff it out. That's kind of the picture here to dampen, to stifle, hinder. And in this case, the picture is to hinder or repress uh, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The idea that Paul is saying is that he wants them not to prevent the Holy Spirit from having the full effect, the full influence within the church, or their lives. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, you usually don't quench or put out a fire by accident. It's usually intentional of how you do it. And so to quench the Spirit uh, implies that there's, again, something going on uh, that Paul, Timothy came back with, a report or some information that Paul, in just that simple way, is just kind of admonishing them, among those many other things. If you have your Bibles, you'll see beginning at verse 12. And he just says, do not quench the Spirit. Now, it would have been nice if Paul had kind of helped us and, and, and given us and said, here's five ways that you're quenching the Spirit. Well, he doesn't do that, so we have to kind of just take it for what it is. 
Um, the Bible uh, speaks about uh, this idea of quenching. You, you might be re- uh, remember in Ephesians chapter 6 where believers are told to put on the shield of faith as part of their armor of God. And the Bible says that this shield of faith, faith that, they are, that it extinguishes the power of the fiery darts from the enemy. That the shield of faith extinguishes the fiery darts. Uh, if we want to paraphrase it, maybe we could say it this way. This may be helpful. Is Paul is, I think, in essence saying, stop hindering or repressing the Holy Spirit. Stop hindering or repressing the Holy Spirit. Stop doing something. Or maybe it's, again, just a general sense of their uh, activity or maybe some false belief that he says that this is actually hindering the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit is being quenched and not having the full influence in the church or in your life. Ephesians, you may be familiar with Ephesians 4.30. I'm not sure if we put it on the screen or not, but you'll be familiar with it. Ephesians 4.30 tells us, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, part of the triune Godhead. Three persons, one God. We call that monotheism, meaning that we, believe, we don't worship three gods. We don't worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but we worship one God revealed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So to refer and say that the Holy Spirit can be grieved tells us that the Holy Spirit, a person, can be grieved. A force can't be grieved. The New Living Translation uh, is helpful on that same verse about do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The New Living Translation says it this way, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. That tells us that, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit by our life, by our, our activity. But when we talk about grieving or quenching the Spirit, you can't quench the Holy Spirit if you do not have the Holy Spirit. So this is written to believers. The entire letter of 1 Thessalonians is written to Christians. And so it is only Christians, it is only followers of Christ that have the indwelt Spirit. Uh, Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So to be born again means that you have been, you have it the indwelt Spirit empowerment, the regenerating power, born again. Remember in John 3, Jesus likened the move of the Spirit to the wind and that uh, of being born again, of being made new, a new creation. So it is only believers that have the Holy Spirit. So Paul is not writing admonishments to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians. And some of, most of you know this, but I'll say it uh, just by way of reference. The Holy Spirit Certainly, we see at the very beginning of Scripture where uh, there in Genesis 1 about how the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. So the Spirit of God isn't someone that just showed up in Acts 2. Holy Spirit is a part of the very being of God. Now, the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament 
is in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, uh, his, his empowerment or his presence was particular upon various individuals. It might have been on prophets. It might have been on kings and certain individuals. Even the Bible talks about the anointed um, laborers and carpenters and the, the, the furnishings of the tabernacle and the, the, te- the temple, the Levites or whatever. So the Holy Spirit was selective and limited. If, I, don't, I don't even want to use the word limited, but limited in the sense of how the Holy Spirit uh, made himself known in particular individuals in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you remember in Acts 2 when Peter stood up at that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and there was that manifestation of tongues that they were speaking in, and Peter got up under the empowerment and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and said, this is that which Joel prophesied about, that the Lord said he will pour his Spirit upon all flesh. So we are living in the downline as part of the new covenant that the Holy Spirit has now been made available to all. It's not just limited or selective. And so it's an important distinction to remember. But let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Some uh, commentators, and it's interesting of how when you read uh, how people, uh, and this isn't necessarily criticism, it's just an observation, that might want to unpack verse 19 about do not quench the Spirit. It's amazing how much they can get in to those five words that it doesn't say more than what it says. Now, I'll probably be guilty of that a little bit today because we want to try to expand on it. But I don't believe that these verses are referring to an activity where somehow the church in Thessalonica was forbidding the expression of what we might call the charismatic gifts of the Thessalonian church. I don't think that's what he's talking about here, about quenching the Spirit. For one reason, if he did, he would do like what Paul did in 1 Corinthians, where he spends a lot of time giving them instruction and correction on the proper application of the gifts. So I don't think that's what it's in reference to. Uh, and uh, so, so I think that might be adding more to it. Again, if they were abusing the gifts, if they were misapplying the gifts, if they didn't understand the gifts, Paul has no problem elaborating on that and teaching that, and I don't think that's, that's what the point is. Here's, here's maybe just the simple way to say it. I believe it's just verse 19 is just a simple, straight exhortation or command for Christians to not do anything that hinders the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in their life. I think that's really the tenor of what is being said there. In fact, if you look down at verse 23 of of that same chapter, Paul says um, in verse 23, as he concludes, we'll be here uh, maybe in a few weeks or a few months, I don't know. Uh, Verse 23 He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to not quench the spirit is don't do anything that hinders, stifles, um, 
keeps the Spirit of God from doing that which the Holy Spirit has been given to do, which is the sanctifying or the setting apart work in the believer's life. Now, just by way again of just a few more little words of, in, of introduction. By the way, this is, doesn't count on time, but uh, no, I'm kidding. I got my clock running here. The role of the Holy Spirit, I just want to again make a, a few reminders. This isn't, uh, this summer I might, uh, I'm thinking about doing a series on the Holy Spirit this summer, so I don't want to get too much into it now, but it's important because we have people from all different backgrounds and different places in their growth in Christ. And so you talk about the Holy Spirit, they may have this understanding, that understanding, or no understanding. I just want to remind you of a few things before we uh, look at um, some more detail. Remember that the Spirit of God has been given, uh, Titus 3, 5, for example, that it's by His sovereign power, God, through the Spirit, regenerates sinners. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness... But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, all right? Um, we see in Romans 8 that it's the Holy Spirit that God uses, the Spirit of God, that frees us from slavery to habitual sin and places believers into the body of Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you get assurance of your salvation? Not by filling out a card at an altar call. You have assurance because the Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit, to your being, that you are a child of God. You hear, you hear what the Scripture says? That's something that God does. That's something the Holy Spirit does. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 reminds us that the Holy Spirit takes up per permanent residence in the believer's life. All right? We don't have to go... Um, I grew up in a tradition where you would hear people use phrases like, I've been seeking the Holy Spirit for 40 years. Well, if you're born again, you don't have to seek the Holy Spirit. You want more of the Spirit, right? Every day we want more of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. But the Holy Spirit, when you're born again, takes up residence in your life. You can't, in one sense, you can't be any more full of the Holy Spirit than you are when you're born again. Now, again, we're going to talk about sanctification. That's different. But 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, the indwelt presence of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that provides giftings to believers in the church. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. It isn't going through a 10-week seminar on spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not saying there's not a purpose for that. How many of you have ever been in a spiritual gifts test class? All right. You've done it for the rest of your life, all right? All right, God bless you, all right? Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Some are teachers, some are uh, helpers, some are administrators. There's multiple gifts that 
Paul uh, and the Spirit talks about in Romans and 1 Corinthians. He says, verse 5, and there are varieties of service. There's varieties of gifts. He likens it in, uh, also in Corinthians to the physical body. He says, but there are varieties of service, verse 5, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone, verse 7, to each, talking about each believer is given the manifestation of the fruit for the common good. In other words, God has, the Holy Spirit has empowered us with, with giftings. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. And that has been given, not for yourselves, but has been given for the body, the church, to be the full body of Christ. But here's where we want to land, and it actually uh, is in 2 Thessalonians, where we'll be at after 1 Thessalonians. But Paul says that the Spirit sanctifies believers, sanctifies believers, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So the Holy Spirit, among the many things that the Holy Spirit does, is that for the believer, one of the important things is that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us sanctification, and we've talked about this before. The word sanctify means to separate. In the Old Testament, there were uh, articles and and objects and things that were used in the worship of the temple, bowls and different uh, pieces, and those were sanctified, set apart to be used exclusively for the worship of Yahweh, okay? It just means to separate. They couldn't use a bowl in the in the tabernacle uh, for, for something in the worship and go eat their Wheaties out of it later. Are you all awake? You know, I'll talk longer if, you, if you're quiet, all right? So uh, just nod or give me some evidence of life out there, all right? So that's what it means to be separate. The Levites were sanctified. That means they were separated out of the other tribes for an exclusive work of the Spirit in the Old Testament, which is to minister and handle the the worship aspects for Israel. So there's justification. You know this. This is, uh, we've gone through this many times in multiple ways. Jim spends a lot of time on it. There's justification. When I'm saved, I'm justified. That is a work exclusively of God and God alone. We do not cooperate in that. The only thing we bring to justification is our sin. Okay? We're not, it's not a partnership where it's a little bit of my righteousness and a little bit of his righteousness. No, it's all his righteousness because I ain't got none. Okay? Mrs. Jones in seventh grade would be abhorred if I used the word ain't. And then there's sanctification. That is... The gospel that saves me now is that the go- that same gospel is now separating me and working in my life to conform me and separate me from my ongoing remaining sin. I'm not working my salvation. I'm not working for salvation. That work has been accomplished in Christ once and forever. 
but sanctification is the work of the believer where I am growing and I'm being transformed and ultimately when I die, I will receive a new physical body. Paul spent a lot of time talking about that in the latter part of chapter 4 and in chapter 5 on our resurrected body. So there's justification, sanctification, glorification. Say it this way, uh, that I am saved, I'm the believer, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will ultimately be saved. That's just kind of that triparterate um, aspect of salvation. But what we want to be reminded of is that in this verse about do not quench the Holy Spirit is that Paul is speaking of don't hinder the progressive sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the church. That is what Paul is warning when he says, do not quench the Spirit. One, uh, something, uh, a resource that I find helpful is the definition of sanctification in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35. And it, it is, reads this way, that sanctification is the work of God's free grace. When you see those commas, there are commas for a reason. They want you to, there's a thought there. It's not just, it's a stop. So it's a work of God's free grace. You, it's not your work, it's God's free grace. Comma, whereby we are renewed in the whole man, the whole person, after the image of God. We are being conformed and renewed in our entire being, head to feet, body, soul, spirit, after the image of God, and, and, here's the Holy Spirit, and are enabled, talking about believers, more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That's what sanctification is. That's the ongoing work. J.I. Packer, some of you have read Knowing God, and uh, I still think, um, still not sure you can get into heaven without reading it, but it's, it's one of the classic books uh, recommended. But J.I. Packer, who is in heaven, and uh, a, uh, a, a wonderful man of God, theologian, but it could write things and put things uh, complicated in real simplicity. Listen to what he says. We're just talking about what defining and understanding what sanctification is. The concept of sanctification, listen, is not of sin being totally eradicated. That's not what we're talking about here. Or merely counteracted, but of a divinely wrought, that means a God-given change of character that frees us from sinful habits and is forming us into Christ-like affections. That's what the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is doing in the believer's life. He says sanctification is an ongoing transformation whereby we as believers are increasingly being changed and moved away from what we once were. Do you hear what I'm saying? And you see, that's where the church has a big problem. They understand to some level justification, but they think sanctification is an option like putting Rust-Oleum on your Lincoln or something. Sanctification is the evidence the fruit of being born again. If the work of sanctification is not happening in your life, 
you need to ask yourself, am I born again? Are my affections being progressively growing more and more to be like Christ? Or am I still stuck 30, 40 years ago in what I knew or thought I knew about Jesus? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Great profound truth. Not belittling that at all. But if you are not growing, if your affections and your desire is no more drawn to Christ and the things that Christ blesses, it should be a cause to say, what is wrong? What is wrong? Have I truly experienced the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? Because my affections are not drawn to things that are holy and pure and right. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit as a helper. Interesting word, isn't it? The Greek word is paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. All right? Don't go around and say, did you know the Holy Spirit? You know, they see pictures of a dove. He must be a parakeet. No, 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 no. It means helper. Paraclete, a Greek word, means one that comes alongside of you and helps you. Some of you come in, you need someone to come alongside of you and help you walk into the church today. They are paracleting for you. They are coming alongside of you and helping you. Isn't that a great picture of what the Holy Spirit is in our life? Who comes alongside. Aren't you glad God didn't just say, here's what you need to do, now go do it. But the Lord says, I'm going to help you. In fact, I'm going to help you by giving you the Holy Spirit, which is my very presence. Jesus said in John 15, 26, but when the Helper comes, the Helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You see, any movement or church that claims to be spirit-filled, that is not glorifying and focused on Jesus, is not a spirit-filled church. Any movement or church or person that is more obsessed with their own identity than exalting Jesus, you should question it, because one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is that he will bear witness about me. If you come into this church or any group or go to a conference and you don't come away hearing more and glorifying more and more passion about Jesus, then you need to ask yourself, was I really in a spirit-led meeting? I'm not saying you come away more motivation to live your dream. I can say that at the Kiwanis Club. You hear what I'm saying? What we have, unfortunately, in American churches and global, really, is we have a Christless Christianity. I challenge you. Some of you that watch a lot of Christian television, and there's some good on there. Some good. Some. The emphasis on some. Might be on at 3 a.m., but, you know, there's some. Ask yourself, what did I hear that exalted Christ? What did I hear about the gospel? 
what we have in a lot of meetings, if you know what TED Talks are, we just have inspirational TED Talks. And we call that church. That's free. You're not going to be charged for that little diatribe there. Look at John 16, verse 7. This is really, I love this. Jesus said, still talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Jesus always tells the truth. It is to your advantage, he's telling his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if, look at this carefully, if I do not go away, the helper, who's the helper? The Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You see, up to that point, and what Jesus is saying, up to this point, until I'm ascended and the Holy Spirit return, comes, you only have me around you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will have me in you. He says, that's to your advantage. If Jesus says something is to your advantage, pay attention. It's to your advantage. And the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So, back to verse 19. This quenching the Holy Spirit. If we are not to quench the sanctifying work of the Spirit, let me suggest five aspects of the Spirit's work in the believer's life and how we may hinder or quench the Spirit's work. And I've kind of limited these things on things that are clearly revealed of the work of the Spirit and the implications how we, as believers, can hinder or quench, stifle the work of the Holy Spirit. All right? Number one, the Holy Spirit reveals, these are all... Uh, positive aspects, and I'll mention how we can hinder or quench the Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to believers. The Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to believers. Look in your Bibles and just go back over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. You see this right here in this church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The Holy Spirit reveals the word of God. He illuminates the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. What enables you to go into the depths of God? Not some bizarre, mystical experience, because the Holy Spirit does, always works in tandem with the authority of the Word of God. It's not going into some weird experience. But it's intimately growing and being exposed to the Word of God that God uses as the means to reveal Himself to us. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2.12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
You don't have to go to some prophet to find out what has been revealed by God. Listen, you can open up any prophet in the 66 books and get prophesied this afternoon. You hear what I'm saying? Why? Because the Holy Spirit who witnesses about Jesus, Holy Spirit who guides you into all truth, Holy Spirit who has uh, breathed, all Scripture is God-breathed. Listen, you can't, there's no mediator between all that. You, you, you have everything, and the Holy Spirit can reveal the deep things of God. I don't care if you ever even went to high school. The Holy Spirit is the great equalizer. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you make excuses because you can't read. Can you listen? You realize you can listen to the Bible freely on mobile phones? I'm not going to show you how much time I have left. But, uh, you know, I mean, you can access the Word of God, but do you make yourself available to do it? The Holy Spirit. Now, listen, it's obvious how we can quench the work of the Spirit is when we fail to apply the means that God has given to us to know Him through His Word. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of Truth. If we are called to rightly handle the Word of Truth, guess what? You can apparently wrongly handle the Word of Truth. And so the Holy Spirit is our guide, and I think that's... The emphasis Paul puts in verse 20 and 21 about do not despise prophecies. You realize most of the prophecies, even in the Old Testament, weren't uh, foretelling, but forthtelling. And we'll talk about that later. But test everything, hold fast to what is good. So the Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to believers, and we can quench it when we fail to give ourselves and apply ourselves to the Word of God. If you are not actively engaging in the Word of God and just reading the Bible, I commend you here today. You're putting yourself under the preaching of the Word. You're hearing the Word of God. That's part of what the Holy Spirit uses in the sanctifying work. But if you're not doing that, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit not only reveals, but the Holy Spirit reassures believers of their relationship with God. Uh, the Holy Spirit brings believers into intimacy with God. You don't have to go to a retreat to get intimate with God. You can get intimate with God in your car in the parking lot 30 minutes before you go to work. It's really simple. And it's the Holy Spirit that God has given to us to lead us in this. We read this earlier, but I want to read it from the New Living Translation. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him, this is an intimate, uh, I believe Abba is, a, is Aramaic. This is a, a very intimate Word that's very closely to like our daddy. It's not exactly the same, but it's a very close word that maybe in our English. Now we call him Abba Father. You see, the Jews couldn't even fathom at even 
saying or spelling the full name of God. You ever see something spelled uh, for the name of Yahweh, but you, you see all the, uh, the vowels taken out, and it's Y-H-W-H? Because in Judaism, that, 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 that to, to even pronounce the name of God was something that, that, that they were, they were, was, was unthinkable. And so not only has now Jesus been given to us, but he invites us to call not, O oh, great almighty sovereign one, and I don't want to be in, in any way diminish the greatness and majesty of God. There's too much this man upstairs nonsense. But at the same time, we come to him in intimacy and can come and meet him as Abba Father. I don't think we really grasp that. I don't totally grasp that. Look in your Bibles to Galatians 4, 6. Just hang a left. Galatians 4, 6. A companion verse. Paul repeats, but... Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son. Don't miss that. It's the Spirit of Jesus. It's the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son and daughter. And if a son or daughter, then an heir with God, part of God's family. This is what the Spirit has done. Uh, uh, Psalm 19, or 9, verse 10, let me just read it. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Why and how can we seek him? Because the Holy Spirit has brought us near to him that we can have that intimacy. The Holy Spirit does that. That's part of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't know that, that, that type of relationship with the Lord. And I, I think um, that why that uh, sometimes in worship, worship that is very personal and intimate in the worship is uncomfortable to you. You're much, you're much more comfortable seeing God as the austere God and those mighty fortresses our God favored him. Not diminishing any of that at all. But there's something about we can sing a mighty fortress is our God, but can we really sing about a mighty fortress is my God? Can I have that? And sometimes that, you, maybe you were brought up in a church setting where you sang and worshipped and talked to God kind of in an outward sense, but the idea of, of really living and dare I say, experiencing God. People get freaked out over experiencing God. You better experience God. You better experience If he's just a cold intellectual theological concept, what is all this that we're talking about here? It's for him to be transformed to these Jews. Instead of being Yahweh out here, he's Abba Father as a son, as a daughter. Psalm 25 verse 4 we should pray the prayer, make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. And how can we quench the Holy Spirit? It's when we are not pursuing and growing. We're not trusting God's sovereign purposes for our life. We're not 
engaging in prayer and worship, those things, those means, listen, God has given us means by which we grow, avenues and, and ways by which we grow. We're not taking, we're not praying, we're not worshiping, we're not doing, we're, we're not casting our cares, Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7. We're operating in our own flesh, our own self-will, instead of trusting God's strength. We're not trusting in the love of God. We're not trusting in the Word when he says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that to those who love God, see that love of God, that's speaking about a relational, an intimacy. And we know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. You see, I'm not trusting, I'm not growing. Why? Because God is still a stranger. I'm not saying you're not saved. But he's still a stranger. He doesn't want, you to, he doesn't want to be a stranger. He's given the work of the, he's given the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit reflects, a little bit related, reflects, the Holy Spirit reflects the glory of Christ to believers. The Spirit glorifies Christ to believers in order to make them more like Christ. Remember what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit does? Is he bears witness, pointing to Jesus. And believers, let me read 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is from the New American Standard. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into what? The same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You see, new covenant, new covenant believers, we live with the veil removed. We live with the curtain that has been torn from top to bottom, that has opened up the way to Jesus has, give, has provided the way that we can come boldly before a throne of grace. In time of need. We are changed by not the theological constructs of Christology. We, if, those, if those theological ideas don't enable us to grow in the intimacy of the glory of Jesus, that's what will change us. Not more knowledge. If knowledge is separated from beholding the beauty of the Lord. There should be times in your reading or your studying or, or whatever, you just stop and ponder the glory of God. How can we quench the Spirit's efforts? Well, we hinder the means that God has given us to make us more like Jesus. I thought of the Scripture in James, James 1, 22 and 25, Remember James' counsel, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone, and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently, look at the language here, at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, but the word of God revealing the truth of God, the very being of God, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. It isn't just gazing. 
It's obeying. And abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man, this woman, will be blessed in what he does. Not taking time to be moved in worship and the word, and you leave here and you forgot everything that God has revealed to you in your life. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit renders help for believers to know God's will. The Holy Spirit, fourthly, renders help to believers, for believers, to know God's will. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The Holy Spirit, in that progressive, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, where we are not to quench the work of the Spirit, gives us a level path of guidance. The Holy Spirit does that. The work of the Spirit, the Spirit and the Word, provides guidance. Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. We used to sing that hymn, Higher Ground. Remember that? Uh, Plant my feet on higher ground. That Lead me on level ground. Some of you are, are worn out by the twists and the turns and bad decisions and emotional decisions and backward U-turns all the way around. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to provide us a level path of guidance. He's been given to us for that. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, Proverbs 16.3. Now, how can we quench that? Well, we quench it because we chase down every other person to tell us what God's will for our life is when we know what God's will for our life is, and we just won't do it. I remember, all right, I'm not going to tell that story. All right, never mind. You see, because we're full, no. Because this progressive work of the Spirit is still subduing my self-will, my stubbornness. Some of you are in messes right now because of your self-will and stubbornness. And you want to blame God. Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Arrogance. But verse 25 of Proverbs 16 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. And the fifth, the Holy Spirit resources the believer. The Holy Spirit resources the believer with strength to persevere. The God who predestinates, the God who calls, the God who regenerates, the God who sanctifies is the God who is able to bring you home to himself. The God who saved you is the God who will keep you saved. 
You see, the security of my salvation, again, isn't in what I did, it's in what he did. That's what Romans 8 tells us. Ephesians 3.16. The Holy Spirit helps us to stay on the path of this work of sanctification growing. Ephesians 3.16. Paul prays that God would grant them according to the riches of his glory that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. He's talking about sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Not quenching the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work and growing and progressive transforming to be made like Jesus that will, in the end, will get me to the kingdom of Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking, I thought I was already in the kingdom of Jesus. Yes, you are, if you're saved. You're positionally, right now, can't be any more saved than you've ever been. But there's also the walking. There's the living. There's the path that God has put before us. As I said, this is what we talk about. We talk about sanctification. That the gospel is being worked in and worked out in my life that I am being conformed to live and be more like Jesus. You remember what Paul would write in Philippians 1.6? It's not on the screen. He said, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you, who began it? God. God began a good work in you, will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm glad he's not like me that has some unfinished projects laying around. He's going to finish what he started. And Paul would write, here's, here's a key verse. And to me, this helps a lot of confusion that people have about what is the sovereignty of God and what is, what is my role. I'm talking about in sanctification, Paul sums it up in two verses. He says in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, and now more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. How does God do that? The work of the Holy Spirit. Don't quench what God has given you and empowered you with to live. Paul says in Galatians 5, but I say walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're walking in the Holy Spirit, you won't spend five hours downloading pornography. You're not going to do it. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you are led, notice it says, but if, he's not assuming you are, if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. For if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Let me close with this quote that I found helpful from Dr. David Jeremiah. Some of you appreciate Dr. David Jeremiah's teaching. But listen to what he says. David Jeremiah says, Do you know what it means to quench the Holy Spirit? What do you do when you quench your thirst? You drink some water, and the thirst is put away. 
When you quench a fire, you put it out. You smother it. How do you quench the Spirit of God? You quench the Spirit of God by not doing something He tells you to do. When you walk in the Spirit and are filled with the Spirit, you don't want to quench Him. When He tells you to do something, you do it. Don't quench the Spirit. 